doesn't do anything. Um, typically, I will come in here late in the week and turn off the switch at the machine so it doesn't run at all. And then, uh, once the heat starts setting in for the summer, I'll remember to come by in the evening on Saturday and turn the switches on so that the air conditioner runs well. And so as I was getting ready to walk out the door and I stepped outside, I realized I forgot. I, I absolutely 110% forgot to turn the air conditioner back on. Uh, and so uh, I have been wandering in and out of this room looking at the thermostat all morning, and I'm willing to bet that it is about 72 degrees. Josh, what's the thermostat say? The little white box. Oh, Lord. 76. Um, the reason that's a problem, does anybody know? Yes, but it's not just me. The thing is, when this room gets hot, um, everybody gets sleepy. How many of y'all have been spending late nights sitting on a piece of equipment or turning wrenches or dealing with one thing or another or watching fireworks or, or whatever? I see that the youngest or one of the Eccles boys has, but, but Jeremy did not raise his hand. Uh, <laughs> I assume that means that, you know, donut and coffee, feet up on the desk napping, while Connor does all the work. Uh, <laughs> um, but it gets hot in here, and everybody falls asleep, right? And so we're going to do a, things, a few things differently this week, but we are going to talk about this. In the Deep South, um, everybody has a fan when they go into a church like this, and they sit there, and they fan themselves. You know why? They don't have air conditioner. The other thing that a lot of those churches do is they do a thing called call and response, and that is to keep everybody from falling asleep. Do you know what call and response is? I do not need amen choruses. However, I'm going to ask questions, and I will encourage you to answer loudly because I want you to stay awake. And here's the other reason. is because we live in a culture where everything is so comfortable that falling asleep is the danger we live with. Isn't it true? It is so easy to just doze off, to just fall asleep, to forget about all the stuff or to get distracted. Distracted is more my deal. I don't fall asleep. I get distracted. And so as I was walking in, I was thinking about how badly I needed to get in there and turn the air conditioner on. I started thinking about a wedding done in this church with a blue-haired gal. Purple? Was it rainbow? <laughs> Which, by the way, was awesome. And I stood here doing this wedding in July, right? Was it July? Oh, well, congratulations. And it was 900 degrees, and I remember I was in my suit, and I was pouring sweat, and it was hot, right? It was hot. It wasn't Las Vegas hot, but it was hot. And, and I was so distracted thinking about that that I started making coffee instead of turning the air conditioner on. And so part of that extra couple degrees is because of that. Um, there's a, the, yeah, anyway. So um, we're going to be diving into Daniel. We're going to be doing Daniel for the rest of the summer. Okay, and we're going to do Daniel chapter one because it's right at the beginning. 
and we're going to do verses 1 and 2. So we're only going to talk for like five minutes. All right, where's my call and response? We're only going to talk for five minutes about two verses. <laughs> All right. Um, but we got to do a little background. And I was cleaning my office and I found my laser pointer. And so, and I hung it up on a nail over my desk and I've been looking at it. And we're going to start here. And what we're going to talk about is how the people of Israel fell asleep. Are you all with me? Um, there are certain, uh, so um, in Israel's history, so you got your, your kings, right? Everybody knows Saul, David, right? David was awesome, but not all that awesome. And Solomon, who was wise and powerful and everything else, but he like fell away from loving God and worshiped false gods and stuff like that. But he built Israel into kind of a world power, and it was awesome. And when Solomon died, his son took over. And his son, very foolishly, engaged with the leaders of the nation, and they said, well, hey, your dad taxed us and pushed us and demanded so much of us. Lighten the load and we will follow you anywhere. And he talked to his advisors and the wise men around him said, these old men who would advise him said, hey, do what they say. Lighten it up, you know, and, and, and ride it out. You're in a good position. And then he talked to his friends. His friends are like, you look weak if you do that. You should double their taxes. And so he went back and he made the very unwise decision of saying to, his, to his, the leaders of the nation, Forget you guys, I'm doubling your taxes. You thought my dad was tough, I'm ten times tougher. And ten tribes in the north said, see you later. Peace. And the country split in two. From that point forward, look, it's a laser pointer. You have Israel in the north, right? And you have Judah in the south. The ten tribes in the north work. <laughs> the ten tribes in the north were the ten tribes that broke away, right? And so the vast majority of the Jewish people broke away and went north, and you had two that stayed down here in Judah, right? And the two in Judah, um, they had Jerusalem, which means they had, anybody know? Say it loud. Now, the cool thing about the Jewish faith is you need the temple to worship, right? And so the guys in the north we're like, forget that temple business. We're going to worship however we want. And they began to make changes. And they made more changes and more changes and more changes. And amazingly, most of those changes looked very little like Judaism and looked a whole heck of a lot like the pagan religions of the people around them. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Part of it was they didn't like those Judites. Judaites? Jud anyway. Uh, they didn't like their brothers in the south. And they're like, we're not going to be like those guys. We're going to do our own thing. And they became pagans. And, like, they were sacrificing their children eventually, which is a really bad thing to do. I know every parent in the room is like, eh. But, like, no. <laughs> um, even if they deserve it, no. Um, I, I heard an awe. Um, oh, it was my... Really? <laughs> She's hoping for the other two to go to the... Um, and in fact, actually, I visited uh, Tel Dan, which is up in the north, and there is the remnants of the palace and a sacrificial area where they would sacrifice bulls to pagan gods. 
Um, and actually, what happens is they start fighting wars with each other, but the guys in the north, they let that anger and that resentment boil. And it boiled so hard that it became everything. Have you all ever resented someone so bad that it changed who you were because you were mad all the time? Um, that is a version of falling asleep. Because the heat is there. And all you can think about is how comfortable you are in your anger, in your frustration, in your resentment. And very slowly, God begins to agree with you. Isn't it crazy? Whenever you hear somebody say, the Lord spoke to me and 99% of the time the Lord is saying something that I wanted to say anyway. Weird how that is. And these guys fell asleep. And they ended up fighting a war with a group of guys called the Assyrians. Dun, dun, dun. The Assyrians had an empire at one point. I'm being very animated trying to keep you all awake. Is everyone still awake? <laughs> hey, Josh, I could blind you from here with my laser pointer. I have a laser pointer somewhere that's got a little Batman logo, so that it's Batman's, but I couldn't find it. Um, but next time, so, <laughs> I keep cleaning. So they fight a war with the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrian Empire rolls in and just beats the ever-loving tar out of everyone. And they take the northern kingdom away as captives, as slaves. And they actually encamp outside of Jerusalem... And are ready to sack Jerusalem, and the king, like Israel's or Judah's, got its own problems. They become their own. They become their own sort of pagans, right? Like they'd fallen away, and they came, like the prophets came and, and um, like I, I believe Isaiah came and said, "Well, look, you got to repent, and God will save you." And the enemy army is encamped around their walls, ready to siege them, and the king repents, and by the next morning, the enemy army is gone, right? You know where they went? During the course of the night, a disease struck the camp. And they were terrified that they would be destroyed by the Jews. And so they broke camp and fled rather than continue their siege. It's amazing what a little illness can do to bring a great empire to its knees, isn't it? Sorry. I was talking about Assyria. I don't know what you're doing. That's not what I was thinking about. Is amazing though. And so this enemy army disappears and Judah is saved because they repented and turned back to God, which is the coolest thing because God honors repentance. Right? Like that's actually uh, in Hosea. Uh, oh my gosh, he's actually going to open the Bible, but it's not the two verses he's supposed to be reading. Um, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, and knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Because God is desirous. He doesn't want to kill us. He doesn't want to wipe us out. He doesn't want us to like open our veins and pour our you know, our, our wealth and everything else, like he wants us to repent and love him, right? I mean, half the time when your kids are being nasty to you, I, I know, hold on here, all you really want is for them to stop and act like they love you, right? It's the truth. I mean, you want them to just not be snotty and stuff like that, but it's part of the package. Like, so the northern kingdom disappears, the southern kingdom repents, and they're saved. 
And they're saved like that because God is so merciful and so amazing. Now, does anybody know what happened to the ten kingdoms? Did they ever come back? No. You know why? Because they went somewhere else. They did not stay together. They did not continue in the ways that they were taught. They didn't continue in the law. They didn't continue in, like, they just continued to bring in other faiths. Because, man, those guys are doing cool stuff. Let's bring that in. Man, those guys dress way better than we Jewish people. Even though God told us to dress this way, let's dress like them. Oh, our haircuts, and I'm not telling you you have to dress a certain way or have a certain haircut or whatever. Don't hear me saying that. What I'm saying is they lost their separateness, which is emphasized over and over again in the scriptures. Be separate. Don't be like the world, right? Um, Lots of energy today because I'm trying to keep you awake. And I'm going to tell you, every preacher in America has this problem right now because it is so comfortable and warm. We just want to fall asleep. Just for five minutes. And this stuff is so boring, unless I'm really energetic and funny. And, well, I mean, I'm always funny, but extra energy. (laughs) See? I kept you awake. That was a response. Um, (laughs) So Israel disappears. They all, they're gone. They break out into the world, and they stop coming back, and they're gone. I'm going to tell you, this is a danger we face. It is. The more we look like the world, and I'm not saying, oh, don't pretend that, you know, uh, you, should, you should never go to movies or, you know, this or that or don't dance. or whatever. I'm not saying any of that nonsense. I'm saying we should be like Christ, right? And the less we look like Christ because we're so busy fighting with each other, because we're so busy being ticked off about some nonsense that's happening in the culture, or because we're so busy trying to look like the world because they're cooler than us, the more we're going to look like them and the less we're going to be anything special. Because like at the end of the day, Christ gives us something amazing. He gives us new life. He gives us communion with God. He makes us family. And so... Me and everyone in this room who doesn't like me, because I'm sure there's at least one or two of you, we're brothers in Christ. We're brothers in Christ. You and me are going to sit next to each other in eternity. Is there anything like how God does stuff? Like, he'll put us together just because we don't like each other so we can realize how wrong we were. Because it's a blessing to be around y'all. They disappeared. Because they were busy fighting with each other and fighting with their brothers and fighting with their neighbors, trying to look like the world, trying to be cool, trying to be comfortable, trying to be everything else except for trying to be a nation of priests, which is what God called us to be, called the Jews to be, actually. We're also called to be it, but it happens later. So, next slide. Oh, my gosh, he still hasn't gotten to the verse. Um, So, what happens is the (laughs) – I'm hurrying – this purple line here. This is what happens to Israel. They get taken away to Assyria, and they never come back. Just before the book of Daniel begins, Jerusalem is conquered. I thought God showed them mercy. He did, and they kept screwing up. You know, like, oh, my goodness. And you know why? Because we're all really, really good at screwing up. We're all good at rebelling. We're all good at breaking the rules. We're all good at being selfish, self-centered, sinful people. And I'm the worst of all of you, and I still get to stand up front. But please don't try to correct that mistake. I'm buying a house. I <laughs> and I'd make a really lousy farmer. 
Um, they're taken away, right? Follow the green here. They're taken away to here, to this area. And they're away from their home. They're away. But what happens that's different is the Jews who had the temple, they were brought into exile. They gathered up and they said, guys, we can't let it end like this. Oh, my gosh. We can't let it end like this. We can't let the distractions around us, the stupid little electronic toys that try to talk to us all the time, we can't let that stuff keep us from keeping our eyes on the Lord. We've got to stay with this. We've got to stay on it. Don't fall asleep. And so they kept nudging each other and keeping each other awake. And how did they do that? Well, for starters, they gathered together in each other's homes with these people called rabbis, which didn't exist before. Rabbis are a development that came about during the exile because all of a sudden everybody said, well, we need to know God's word or we'll disappear. And so they got together and they studied God's word. And they came up with this book called the Mishnah, which I am not advocating today. I like it. It's a great book. It's interesting. But in the Mishnah, they took God's word and they commented on it and they said, how do we apply this to our everyday lives? What? Actually living out what you believe? But it made them stand apart from their neighbors. When we get into Daniel text proper, you're going to discover Daniel, they liked Daniel when he was on their team. They didn't like Daniel when he followed God instead of them. Daniel is a fly in the ointment over and over and over again. That's why he's such an awesome character. And his friends, Rackshack and Benny, fly in the ointment. That's it from the message. Um, and eventually they come back. So we're going to dive into the text. And actually we're going to start in Isaiah. Because this is, um, Isaiah uh, is talking about the king. All right, so this is 39. Isaiah is a prophet. He is well before the exile. This is, Isaiah is the guy who preached to the king and they were saved from themselves. From themselves. Titus, can you run down to my office and grab a soda out of the box down there? I have coffee. I'm getting really thirsty because it is hot in here. Is it hot in here? Is it just my preaching? No, sorry. Deep South. Um, <laughs> at that time, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of his illness and recovery. The illness and recovery is when God saved him. That's amazing, isn't it? Like, he heard about, like, oh, yeah, the Assyrians were about to kill all those guys, and the king was dying, and he recovered. And so he reached out to him. He said, hey, let's hang out, right? By the way, Marduk Baladan, Baladan would have been the father's name. Marduk is the name of one of the um, popular gods of uh, the world at the time. Thank you. Uh, And so his name, he's literally named after a pagan god, right? (laughs) They're having this guy over. And um, so he, Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses. The silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his entire armory and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all the kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Now, There's a way to look at this where you say, oh, he's just showing them around the place, right? 
Uh, my wife and I are we're joking this morning. We're going to have a uh, we're, we're getting ready to move. And we're talking about the mess in the house. And I was like, you realize, honey, that having people over, like, I just started packing boxes so it looks like the place is messy on purpose. Um, you know, because like, you always want to put your best foot forward. And barring that, you put whatever forward, like, you know, you try to shove everything in a closet or say, I'm sorry, I have kids um, or whatever. Um, but this guy comes in. He says, look at how rich we are, right? Look at how wealthy we are. Look at how much stuff we have. Look at how awesome our kingdom is. What does it not mention in the process? Not a word about Jesus, or about uh, Yahweh there, is there? Not a word about God, because he is not showing them what makes them unique. He's showing them their muscles. He's showing them, this is why we're awesome. Not, the Lord made us safe. Look at how rich I am. By the way, as well, if you ever have somebody over who has a history of breaking into neighbors' houses, should you show them where you keep the silver? Should you tell them whether or not you have a gun ready? If you don't have a gun ready, you shouldn't tell them that, right? Like, but he shows them their wealth, and all of a sudden, it is a big, attractive prize. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say, and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came to me from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? You can see him sort of like, What? What is wrong with you? What did you do? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There's nothing among my treasures I did not show them. You hear the bragging? You're the arrogance, the pride. You feel the heat turning up. And this guy's slowly falling asleep and not realize how foolish he's being. And he just got saved. It's like the guy who woke up from the alarm clock and fell asleep at the breakfast table. Right? Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your predecessors have stored up until this day, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, said the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, read Daniel and Rakshak and Benny and a bunch of other guys, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Um, there are a lot of people actually who argue that Daniel may have been a eunuch because of this passage and some of the historical precedents. Not going to talk about that much today. Just saying, it is not a process I want to go through. The king has fallen asleep, and he backs up and he says, "Look at everything I've done. Not look what the Lord has given me. Not I serve the mightiest God there ever was. Not God has blessed me more than I deserve." Not, just look at my wealth, look at my opulence. Because he is asleep. I was going to go back to this map, but I'm going to jump past it. Daniel 1.1, one, one. let's hear a cheer. <laughs> yes, five minutes from now. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So there were a number of fights between these guys. 
Um, there's a lot of intrigue and infighting and back and forth. Ultimately, what happens is Israel is completely, utter, or Judah is completely and utterly wiped out, and the people are carted away as slaves, right? They left the refuse behind. But everybody who had any education, any information, any wealth, any skills, any, anything they could use became voluntold that they would be serving the Babylonian Empire. And they left. And they stood apart, and they circled up, and they got better. They grew in their time of difficulty. They developed. They learned to love God's word in a way that they never did before. They began to obey God's word with a fire. And by the way, this is a fire that we've seen now and again, but we get lost in. If you go back a number of years, I have actually never personally experienced this, but I'm willing to bet that there are people in this room who have. Because once upon a time, people did not play baseball on Sundays. Anybody grow up in a house like that? And actually, it was torturous to do Sabbath, which is Saturday, but whatever. Because they're like, we have to obey that Sabbath law. And it became a miserable rule, right? And in reality, what God is saying is, hey, knock, knock off at the end of the week and relax. Enjoy time with me. Enjoy time with your family. Enjoy yourself. And we turned it into, hey, 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 follow that rule. <laughs> do it right, right? But these guys fell in love with God's word and they became a different people. They became enormously different. They left exile with a grand teaching tradition, with like an obedience and a desire. They rebuilt the temple. They did all of these things. It was something else because they went into exile, this awful, awful, miserable thing. They watched their city siege. They watched mothers eating their babies. It's in lamentation. So if you're offended by that, I'm sorry, go read it. Uh, they, they watched their entire country brought to nothing and they came back devoted to God, devoted to obeying him, not because they had to, but because they loved him. It was amazing. And very slowly because they loved him turned into had to, all right, let's hear it. They had to. Making sure you're all still awake. It's like 80 degrees in here. Um, so they're besieged. They're sacked. We're going to skip over my timeline here because I'm going too long with my five ver- uh, minutes. Verse 2. And the Lord and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Then he carried off the temple and hit to his God in Babylon and put it in the treasure house of his God. Um, These he carried off to the temple of his God. So you'll notice the temple of God and the temple of his God because he comes in and he chops up the worship set. He chops up everything and he takes it home as prizes, right? And reading this, I can't help but think of that scene in Indiana Jones where the Ark of the Covenant is in the ship, right? And it's in this crate with a big Nazi logo on the side, and the Nazi logo burns off because you cannot make a mockery of God. And actually, we see that in a little bit. But he carries them off. Um, and it's very funny here because Bibles don't translate this properly. The temple of his God in Babylonia. It actually doesn't say Babylonia. Um, watch this. We're going to go back to Genesis. 
Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found the plain of Shinar and settled there. The word used there is Shinar, not Babylon. Isn't that interesting? It's roughly the same area, but this is actually an archaic word used to describe Babylon. Crazy. Why would they do that? Then they said, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used the brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. Anybody know how the story ends? Babel, man. Like, they were dragged off, not to Babylonia, they were dragged off to the place where the Tower of Babel was built. The place of, like, like the earliest sort of organized rebellion against God. And standing in this place of organized rebellion against God, they were reminded, we ain't all that different from these guys. We got here because we were being stupid. But standing in Babel, standing in Shinar, surrounded by the world, they gathered up and they did something crazy. They taught each other the word and they loved each other and they served each other and they walked out the door on the other side whole. Some of them were set on fire. Some of them were tortured. Some of them were killed. Many of them just died in captivity. Some of them stayed behind and wrote the Babylonian Talmud, which is one of the like, great works of Judaism. Like, but they stayed Jews because they were different. There's actually a thing I want to emphasize here. Um, when Jesus is teaching, um, one day as a teacher of the law comes to him and he says, what is the greatest commandment? What is your quest? What is the greatest commandment? And because it's a trick, right? Anybody know what the greatest commandment is? Jess is the only one who finished it. Let's say it loud. Because it is the greatest, right? You don't say the greatest like, oh, yeah, I'm from Montana. Say, I'm from Montana. What is the greatest commandment? Yes. And the second is like it. What's crazy is if you look at how Jesus taught the disciples to be, his model of making disciples, he taught them first, love God more than anything. He taught them second, stand as a group, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, go out there and preach the gospel to the nations. Love God, love each other, serve the world. That's how they stayed separate in an awful place. Um, there's a great comic I've seen a million times here recently, and I say this because it's hot, and because I want to fall asleep. Right? I was out in Fort Benton yesterday all day, and it was hot, and I'm tired still. And I had kids around me who were screaming and crazy. They were other people's kids. Don't worry, mine are awesome. Um, This comic, it says, uh, it's, a, it's an ad executive. He's there. 
He's got a TV and he's people kissing on the TV and tasty and hot and juicy and stuff like all over it. And he's like, this is our ad um, campaign we're going to release. Isn't this a great idea? And the next guy, guy across from him says, wait a minute, what does this have to do with selling burgers? And he's like, burgers? <laughs> um, <laughs> we live in a world like the church is falling into this, though, like where it's so warm and sleepy. We say, you know what? We're going to have the best kids play area in town. What does that have to do with making disciples? Disciples? We are going to have the best programs. We are going to have the best music. And we do have the best music. We are going to have the best this. We're going to have the best that. And at the end of the day, like, it's easy to think about programming and forget about our job. Right? If Coca-Cola stopped doing anything other than making Coke, we would think it was crazy. Right? If Gillette suddenly ran ads making fun of men, we would think it was crazy. Because what do they make? Razors and mistakes, apparently. Just making sure people are still awake. As the church, as the body of Christ, we exist for one and only one purpose. One. We make disciples. What does that look like? Love God more than anything else in the entire world. Love your neighbor, meaning like the, your neighbor, but especially the church, right? That was Jesus. Uh, you'll, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one, for one another. Like gather up, break bread together, spend time in the same room with each other. Consider each other like to be of more honor than each other. That's Paul, right? And serve the world. This is what we're here for. This is what we exist for. You will see Daniel do this in the coming weeks. I'm not saying, I'm not an apocalyptic guy. I don't think America is the new Israel. I'm not going to do any of that. But I do believe we're living in a time where the uh, Christendom is this idea of like everybody is church culture, right? Everybody is a Christian. We're all Americans. I don't, I, I think that's coming to an end. I think we're coming to a time where like the culture isn't going to be very nice to us. And that's all right because it's easy to fall asleep when the world is nice to you. It's easy to make politics into the gospel when the world is nice to you. In reality, the gospel is Jesus Christ died for us because we're sinners. He died for you. He died for me. I deserve hell ten times over. I sin so much. I, I, and I, it just is what it is. But Christ saved me despite me. The worst alarm clocks are the most effective. Aren't they? I'm not going to need you after all. I bumped that part. It took too long. Sorry, Titus. There's my alarm clock. You forgot about the thing. Um, anybody ever wake up to the sound of a ball hitting a bat? Really? Not Just me? You're out in right field, and you're staring off into space, and all of a sudden you hear the sound of a ball hitting a bat? Worst alarm clock in the world. You know what else is awful? Sirens. Smoke alarms. Mom, come see what I did. <laughs> Dad, I made you breakfast. <laughs> Dad, I painted the car. Anybody? <laughs> really, just me? Shh. Shh. 
Israel's alarm clock was Assyrians on their front porch, and they went back to sleep the next day. Then their alarm clock was the Babylonians, and they stayed awake for a little while, and by the time Jesus shows up, they had Pharisees and Sadducees and all kinds of mess that had nothing to do with God. They even managed to crucify God himself when he came in human form, right? Wow, how do they do that? I'm glad I'm not as dumb as them. I am. We all are. And we will all fall asleep easily. My challenge this week and my challenge in the coming weeks and my challenge for us, honestly, in the life of this church, in the life of this body going forward, is to be this, like awake. Love God. Love each other. Serve the world. If I can't do those three things, I'm, I'm like a guy who says he's a vegan, but I have steaks every other day, right? Can't be both. Although I guess I can struggle and sin and not be perfect. I'm not. We could pick that apart too tightly, and it would fall apart really quickly. I'm going to jump through my text here. Uh, oh, um, interesting. Well, no, we're going to close with that. I'm going to leave that until five weeks from now or six weeks from now. Um, what are we doing then? Where, where am I going with this? I'm going the direction of Christ called, it, called us out of the grave. Literally asleep, right? Asleep, spiritually dead. He calls us out of that, and he calls us to a place of awakeness, a follow me, be new. Love God, love your neighbor, serve the world. Be my people know me, love me, be in relationship with me, and we fall asleep. And it's easy. This happens. Actually, I discovered this happened to me years ago. I've been married for 23 years. Got it right? Yes? I don't have to sleep on the couch or the lawn. Um, I've been married for 23 years, and the day I got married, my wife walked on water everywhere she went. Isn't it amazing how your wife does that? And about Five years later, I discovered that it's really easy to not feel that way all the time. TJ, newly wet advice. It's easy to lose your first love. It is. We have to fight to stay awake. We have to work. We have to remind each other. You have to stand next to each other. You know, I used to work uh, third shift at the home, and you'd have to go and do bed checks. And if I sat by myself on the couch, you know what would happen? Fall asleep every time. You gave me another person to talk to, it was really easy to stay up all night, right? And that is why we pair up. That's why we talk to each other. That's why we pray together. That's how you, why we challenge each other. You know what else? That is part of the reason that we invite other people into our lives is so we can say, you're screwing up. Anybody have anyone in their life who will point to them and say, you're doing this and it's wrong and you need to knock it off? Other than your wife. Well, I said I do and my hearing turned off. I don't hear it when she tells me I'm doing wrong. Everybody envisions themselves as Nathan, but nobody realizes we're all David. I'm going to close in prayer. My challenge to you is, and I know this is a messy sermon because I was going to do the whole chapter. And I got started and I'm like, oh my gosh, these first two verses is, is us. The church in America has fallen asleep. The church in America has watched 
as our buildings have closed and emptied out, right? And I'm not saying we're perfect. We have watched as colleges turn our kids into atheists, but mainly because they barely knew Jesus when they walked out the door of our houses. It's just true. We've watched as we've turned the gospel into some political nonsense. And we can't do this. We have to wake up. Love God. Love each other. Serve the world. This is who we are. This is what we're going to hear over and over again. Love God. Love each other. Serve the world. Close in prayer. Uh, If you are confused by what I said, uh, just talk it up to it being hot in here. Um, but praying this morning, this is what I had to say. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with me. I pray that you would help me to help me to love you more than anything else. Help me to hunger after relationship with you. Help me to hunger after the relationship with you that I can only get through my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. Um, the ways that I can know you more when when people say challenging things to me or ask questions that force me to think or when people just love me even though I'm kind of crummy. Um, and I know your grace more because of because of the people who I'm surrounded by. I pray that we would be people who pursue that constantly, that we would love each other more, forgive each other more, be your people. Help us to be the body and not just a body of folks fighting in the street. I pray that we would be your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.